Welcome back to the activist class, everybody. This is episode four. Um, I'm Aretha. I'm here with Chrissy. Hello. Speculation. What up? And Myra. Hi. And today is October 28th, 2019. Next week is the election. Make sure to vote by November 5th. If you haven't gotten your ballot yet, like Aretha, you can print it out online and put it in an envelope and you have to stamp it yourself. Wait, you just didn't get one? No, I didn't get one. Is that usual? You know, actually, I haven't. I'm registered to vote. I want to clarify. Okay. <laughs> before we, That'd before be y'all coming at my neck. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't, I think they just don't like me. It's fine. It's not. Wait, possible. how did you not get your ballot? I didn't get my ballot this time. I didn't get my ballot last year. At oh, all. Shit. You never, you just didn't get it. Straight up. Are you sure you're did registered? You just to be honest. I know I am because I did the thing. I used to do this for a living, y'all. I remember. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> oh fuck! <laughs> I don't think you can post the show now. If you had to choose, if you had to choose, <laughs> oh no. Daddy, zaddy, father. Okay. Well, you have to define for the people. What do these terms mean? Oh, okay. So a father is like, you know, tired, <laughs> a little bit older. Fact. <laughs> <laughs> Can confirm. Beaten down by his children. He just looks sad. <laughs> he, there's, a, there's a little bit of desperation in his eyes. I feel so attacked right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and a and a daddy is a young, exuberant, fine mm. papa. Mm. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you have to define papa now. Yeah. <laughs> and a zaddy is like mm, mm. just a snack. You know, Ooh. like you could take a bite out of that zaddy. Maybe he zaddy's like a step up from daddy. Some, like, zaddy is a thousand percent a step up. Oh, from I daddy. have no idea. Yeah, that I was. Yeah. I need to call people and re readjust my. my <laughs> ranking. Really? No, that was in ascending uh, order. Yeah, it's <laughs> zaddy is like. Oh my god! You know he or she or they. <laughs> zaddy <laughs> is gender neutral. <laughs> zaddy is gender neutral. It is. And taking you out to dinner. Ooh. Except they are the dinner. Exactly. It's Seneca time. <laughs> what if so I want an appetizer? You are the appetizer. Oh! <laughs> Everybody is fed. <laughs> Everyone gets to eat when Zaddy comes to town. <laughs> okay. That's our platform at the activist class. Okay. Hashtag feed the people. Thank you for the literacy check. Daddy, zaddy, father. Mm -hmm. Alex Peterson. Oh my God. Egan Orion. Love it. Jim Puggle. <laughs> no! No! I refuse. It's kind of easy though. Obviously like Where? Puggle's father. Yeah. So we got one knocked, you know? Ha okay. Actually, you know what? Puggle might not be father. And I know his name is Pugil, so no one fucking correct me. His nickname <laughs> on activist class is Puggle. Puggle 100%. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so then who the fuck is Zaddy in that situation? They all suck. 
But one of them's got to be Zaddy. So then it is. I'll just say Alex. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Basically, I think I'd rather die. (laughs) Okay, this is failing. This segment's failing because it's because you gave us an impact. It got too real. I know it's not fun. None of them are Zaddy. None of them are Zaddy. No. After the elections, we'll have a fun one. Fine. All right, let's get into it, y'all. All right, voter turnout. Um, the two biggest districts in Seattle are Districts 3 and Districts 6, which also happen to be the districts with the most vocally upset constituents. Um, mm. And uh, District 3 right now has the highest turnout. They have uh, 8,000 people out of 74,000 registered voters have voted. And in D6, 7,000 of the same amount have voted. Do y'all want to break down? Who are the early voters that we usually see? <laughs> I was just going to also remind people that D3 is Egan versus Shama. Mm-hmm. And then D6 is Heidi Wills and Dan Strauss. And that is Mike O'Brien's current seat, current district. <coughs> and his constituents <laughs> are very <laughs> displeased with oh Mike. Yeah. So basically... Both candidates are running against Mike O'Brien. Both candidates are running against Mike O'Brien. <laughs> the memory of Mike O'Brien. <laughs> Ballard Mafia. <laughs> you know what I'm also saying when I'm looking at these numbers? Of all the districts, District 2 has the lowest number of registered voters. Mm-hmm. And District 2 is where we see the highest concentration of like folks of color, right? Because it's Beacon Hill, uh, Rainier Beach, New Holly, Columbia City, Georgetown, all those places. Um, so District 2 is at 59,000. Uh, registered roughly fifty nine thousand registered voters, and four thousand of them have turned out thus far. Yeah. And so I did quick uh quick math here, and it looks like all of them except for D two have ten percent voter turnout so far. And just like Aretha just said, yeah, it's true that that does have D two is where most POC pe- people live in in the city of Seattle. They do have the lowest registered voter and also voter turnout there at six percent. In these districts that are the most contentious, like D3 and D6, they have the highest turnout rates of early enthusiastic voters, which always tend to be white, wealthy homeowners. Yep. Mm-hmm. On And honestly, like, I hate beating people over the head, like, to get them to vote when, like, our electoral process is just, like, such a sham and continuously fails communities of color. But, like in this municipal election in the city election there's such a clear distinction between the two candidates that are running against each other in each district that like it it is going to make a huge difference to turn out to vote in this election and also like just be like me and vote on the day of the election at 7:30 p.m. <laughs> get a high five from the person wearing the vest. They're so excited to see people yeah. oh after seven. See they are oh my so god! Stoked. <laughs> yes. And um, don't don't change yourself to be like an early enthusiastic white wealthy homeowning voter. Uh, keep them on their toes. <laughs> yeah. Keep them surprised. <laughs> Make them stay up until 11 or 12 or wait till the next day to find Mm -hmm. out. Um, That'll piss them off. The real results. So in the last week, I feel like all of the right wing or... Seattle right. Exactly. The corporate 
corporate centrist media in Seattle has basically been on like a full court press pushing this narrative of the candidates that they're endorsing are actually the change candidates and the candidates on the left are the status quo is the way the Seattle Times put it. Um, do you guys see this strategy being effective? Do you guys think that this narrative has taken hold? I mean, unfortunately, yes. Right? Like, it's just, it's been a series of unfortunate events. Like we talked about last year, last episode. Um, everyone is really building off of, like, the Seattle is dying and the Scotland's reports. Like, they're just making this cauldron of propaganda and everyone's sipping it. Happy Halloween, working. motherfuckers. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, it's so easy, too. I feel like they have, A, as a Seattle conservative, co-opted movement language that is actually progressive, mm-hmm. yeah. distilled it into its most meaningless form of just, like, empty, easy talking points, like... The quality down with the status community. quo, you know. Yeah. Oh, I hate one community. Oof. Diversity. The overuse of the word community. Um, calling people bullies. <laughs> I'm just like, where is this? Like, Who how? Who said that? Pretty much everyone about Shama. Yeah. She's a bully. Yeah, she's Even a though bully. she's like, Speck and I were talking about, she gets outvoted all the time. Mm-hmm. Like all the time. And Did they I say, say all the time? All the time she and gets they, outvoted. They call her a bully because she asks her people to show up to these meetings and like basically pack the chamber. Um, she does bring gongs, I will say. No, no, I mean, she's very good at like rallying the people, but it's just so funny to me that like being able to get 115 people in a room is like bullying, but like spending $3 million on a local election. Like, yeah. Exactly. It's it's like it's like who gets to decide what civility looks like in these elections? Who gets to decide what um, not being a bully is? And what's the other thing that they say? They're like, oh, yeah, it's divisive. You know, like who gets to decide what divisive is? And it's clear that like businesses don't appreciate getting pushed back on. Yeah. Um, and that like any type of like progressive movement building that requires a lot of mobilization and requires a lot of activism and protest slogans and silly (laughs) t-shirts that those people are then considered the divisive ones. And that is a tale as old as time, you know, like there's really something that's like Mm -hmm. not new about this Mm -hmm. tactic, even though it's like sticking so hard in Seattle now. It's like, we haven't learned from history, which is weird because all throughout history, it wasn't the nice tactics that won. It never was. Yeah, of, cu- of course. Right, but like when we look back, it's all been sanitized, right? Like we only get told, you know, like growing up, we're only taught one version of like the civil rights movement or like all the movements that have made critical change. But what doesn't get put into those is like how radical and like how much they push the needle. Yeah, like everybody loves <laughs> MLK, but no one really wants to talk about Malcolm X and like how the Black Absolutely. Panthers needed to be militarized, or don't even talk about MLK and everything he said about reparations, economic justice. You know, it, it ties back to money and wealth, right? And how um, unequal our society is in terms of wealth, and how it's just getting worse and worse, right? No one talks about those radical points that MLK talks about. They just talk about 
guess what? Civil disobedience, which doesn't hurt no white people. So that's all they talk about. But what's interesting is like that's kind of like that conversation is the boogeyman that they're alluding to. And that is like the status quo that they're that they've shaped this narrative and like hammered home for the last couple of years. But like that's not what's happening on the ground, right? Like the left and like even progressive council members have been over backwards to compromise and to capitulate to these interests and to like I mean, if you look at the head tax, it was watered down enormously, right? But that watering down meant that like the mayor would sign it kind of sorta and it was voted unanimously right so like to say that like our most divisive issue of the last two years was voted unanimously by a city council and then to turn around and say that that city council is dysfunctional and divisive is just like bonkers to me like they've done everything they can at least like on paper to make this work um and business just refuses to budge. Um, and uh, SCC Insights, what's his name? Kevin? Schofield. Kevin it's, a, it's a Kevin. Kevin, yeah. He was Kevining all over the place today. Oh, my God, um, Kevining. Anyways, he published this piece that was basically like a pox on both your houses, equating the activism on the left, the Shama packing chamber chambers um, with all the money that, the chamber of commerce is spending um and it's just like he he referred to it as a war and if that's the case then like this is a wildly asymmetric war um and so like what do you mean by that just in terms of like i mean we're sitting here we're recording this on two phones and and like a shitty canon camera and i'm talking to you on a 20 dollar karaoke mic right like but i know if he wasn't talking about like our show specifically, he was absolutely talking about the collective us. Right. Um, and so to like equate that level of like infrastructure and, um, just $3 million in our local election. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They love comparing apples versus oranges. And not just that, but like Cairo radio, Como, like Mm -hmm. Fox news, all of these things, like they have so much media infrastructure and like they can be wherever they want to be, wherever they need to be with high quality, well-produced things. Um, and we're like over on Twitter with like a few thousand followers, like doing the best, like any platform that we have, like we've built bare hands, you know? Absolutely. It's it's totally true. And also like it comes from our passion alone. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking of all the work that I have to do to just show up for Shama, like being that person that is demonized of packing, packing Mm -hmm. the, the chamber. Right. I get an email from Shama on her newsletter and I say, oh, I have time. I could go to the chambers. And that's all I do. Right. Mm-hmm. There's no money. No one like, you, you know what I mean? Like it, it's mm-hmm. just it's and people movement versus money movement. And exactly. meanwhile, right? Amazon's paying those. for signatures and they're paying people to go door to door. Exactly. Like, and so like any even just like suggestion that those two <laughs> things are that there's a war happening between those two sides is just yeah. Absolutely crazy to me. I mean, yeah. it is a war. We're just getting our ass whooped. Mm. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, I we're not, and like that's <laughs> like it's a miracle that like it's a miracle that like we really do have a chance to like have a progressive council, given like the vast amounts of money that are being spent. Right. Like Shama's being outspent six hundred to one. Um, 
by corporate PACs and independent expenditures. Like the fact that she's even still in this, even as an incumbent is like a miracle. But I do, I do agree with Aretha that it is definitely a war. And I, I think that we do have a fighting chance, like what Speck said, Mm -hmm. but, um, I think it's a war. I just don't think it's fair to say both sides are responsible for the damaged cause in this in this mm. war, right? Because that's kind of what he was saying is that like you're he said quote like you're destroying our city, um, and that's just not that's just not an accurate reading of history. Um, yeah, it really is, and that's so it's sad. not an accurate reading. It's it's not an accurate reading of history, and it's really short sighted in terms of like where we are as a city right now. A lot of people are like, you know, how how is a council? Will you work with? the the county and the state you know and mm-hmm. regional governments because all of that really matters mm-hmm. um in terms of like looking at seattle's homelessness crisis and understanding that it actually in a lot of ways is a regional problem and we do need to focus on how we partner with the counties in snohomish county and king county as people are getting pushed further and further out of our city and out of our systems that even track those movements but with amazon and with companies that are really, really wealthy and multinational and not even like, just like not even really, really wealthy, but like a, a uh, measurable percentage of our country's GDP. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not a question of like, how is our city functioning with the counties and the states? This is like impacting our foreign policy mm-hmm. essentially. And this is impacting like how the nation has to think about um, what all of our economic policy is going to be. And uh, honestly, we're at the forefront of a lot of the, these issues and trying to figure this stuff out. Like Aretha said last week, like the Seattle is, is a Petri dish, an incubator of the left. And we are right now seeing a war in our city over the health and well-being of our economy that is only going to spread to other cities and throughout the world. Mm-hmm. And so I and it will be interesting. I mean, that's why Bernie and Elizabeth jumped in um, when and like made statements about the Amazon money that got dumped into the city because they know essentially this is like really a broader issue. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking like all the rail barons of the world, all the Walmarts of the world. We've had almost like a s- smaller empires within our larger <laughs> political and military empire of the usa right like this is not a new problem we've had like this amazon's just the latest iteration of of mm-hmm. big exactly. business mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so to say that it's all the fault of a council that they couldn't fight against like you know since the beginning of just like forces in play that have hundreds of years in the making right like you have to undo so many things and you need a radical council to even attempt that. And it's going to be uncomfortable and it uh, is yeah, going exactly. to feel divisive and it is going to feel difficult for business to catch up and go through those processes and to chip away at some of, you know, Bezos's $110 billion worth of wealth mm-hmm. when the average worker earns like $48,000 or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, of Amazon. Of Amazon, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, what I'm saying is that will feel uncomfortable and they will have to <coughs> think about what, uh, fuck it, I don't know. But like, you know what I'm saying? That's going to be uncomfortable for them and it's about time that the discomfort is experienced by 
companies and by individuals who are able to amass unprecedented wealth versus communities that have been historically oppressed and disadvantaged mm -hmm. and systemically and structurally. And so it's like... And it's not an existential time. threat to them. No. It's going to hurt, but to other exactly. to smaller communities, it absolutely is an existential threat. And to like for them to claim that a $275 tax... You know, that's why I'm so mad about this Kevin guy's op-ed. Mm -hmm. like, that's exactly right. Like He's equating their discomfort with another community's existential threat. Mm -hmm. And it's not the same fucking thing. Yeah. You know, this is talking about, you know, being able to pay rent, being able to be fed, being able to have some health care. Mm -hmm. JK, not any health care. Being able to not be in debt forever mm -hmm. to health care, right? Mm -hmm. Versus making maybe, I don't know, 10K less a year from your 100,000. I don't even know how much techies make. But you know what I mean? Like, it's it's... To us, a lot of that wealth is unfathomable, right? And <laughs> just we're just taking just taking a little bit from these businesses makes so much different in the daily lives of everyone else, right? <laughs> and and <coughs> honestly, fuck you, Kevin, for saying that. <laughs> like, Word. Yeah. Sorry, Kevin. Fuck you, Kevin. What I'm also thinking about, like as we're talking about this, is the ways in which, like, when we talk about co-optation, what also aside from language that gets co-opted is also the practices that communities cultivate, right? Like, <coughs> no matter, like, you know, folks get pushed to the margins more and more and more. And I forgot who said this, so someone please quote this, but like, communities, especially like historically oppressed communities, have always been able to figure out how to cultivate those margins and create resilience and create beauty and create power within those places. And then when those opposing forces see that, they're like, oh, no, you don't get that either. And I think we see that playing out in these elections as well, right? Like with the policies that are coming out from these types of candidates where, you know, expand, they'll use terms like harm reduction or public health to really be talking about ways in which we want to further invest in punitive systems, whether that be courts or cops or jails. Like all of these things that have been used to over-incarcerate, over-police, over-surveil, these very communities where people have been like, you know, like in the CID, like they'll come up with um, the community watch, right? Like Donnie Chin. And then like, you know, we have corner greeters down in the South End. We have the Black Panthers. Like community has figured out how to make themselves safe. And so when punitive systems see us doing that, they're like, how can we co-opt that so that you don't get autonomy over that? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's exactly what we're seeing a lot of these folks, like their talking points becoming rooted in because... I mean, the county's zero use of youth detention resolution talks about harm reduction, but it still incorporates a youth jail, mm -hmm. right? Which they mm -hmm. call the Family Center for Justice or yeah. some bullshit like that, right? Which yeah. is the same, like, sugarcoating exactly. to the same systems based off of slavery, essentially. I wanted to throw that in because I feel like that's really what's also we, we need to be very aware of is if these people win, they are going to use our language to harm us mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. to further invest in things that will make sure that we never are able to thrive. Mm -hmm. And they're already setting the stage for that. That's why, like, the Seattle Times editorial was, like, none of these, like, explicitly said, like, none of these people are conservative. They're all, like, progressive and on the left. And, like, mm -hmm. that's just factually not true. But, like, that's also like kind of being left of a Trump supporter is not like you do not get a gold star for that. Wait, how dare you erase the Trump voters in the city? Oh, my bad. You my bad. 
Oh, yeah. Um, the King County Republicans also released their endorsements mm-hmm. for this election. Which were exactly the same I as wonder why they're the same. They were exactly the yeah. same as the back. Yep. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah, that Kevin guy also said that. We're all left to center here in Seattle. Yeah, bullshit. There's some Trump voters here. And they got money. Yeah, and it doesn't matter, like, on the aggregate if you're left. Like, these, like, very specific policies that, like, have ramifications on, like, the stuff happening on the ground here. Plenty of folks are very far to the right on those things. I mean, like... Right. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we know the business establishment has co-opted our movement language and that they've been using it against us. And they have been distorting the narrative around things like what the status quo is, who the establishment is, which apparently isn't them. It's the (laughs) progressive (laughs) candidates on the council, like Shama. (laughs) So I think um, something that would be really helpful to do would be to define what status quo actually is Mm -hmm. by our own definition and to give that some like meaning and some depth considering they are throwing down a lot of words and not backing them up with any substance. I feel like off top it would be whenever movements start to swell making like the most minimal change to just stifle it and then using the language of those very people to be like wait but we did the thing you wanted us to do even though it's like encouched in all sorts of bureaucracy um, so that they still can be like look at my gold star I did the thing you don't get to yell at me anymore and then folks are like well well, fuck. It's such a good point, Aretha. God damn it. <laughs> the Seattle process, some would say. It's called. Ay, ay, ay. The voice of the community. Our status quo is also constantly putting levies <laughs> on the damn ballot to pay for shit. Because we have a very regressive tax structure. Um, we, we raise the the sales tax and it fucks over poor people. Yep. <laughs> and we make a fit when we propose any type of legislation that would tax business, like the head tax. Or income tax back in 2012. Mm-hmm. Would have not touched most people, but... Mm-hmm. So one thing that I find really interesting is that I remember talking to someone on Mercer Island. Yeah, I know. Yikes. Yikes. Um, about <laughs> their whole like sound transit hate. You know, look that up. It's oof, it's a trip. Uh, but I remember <laughs> that you have to make by car. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> He's right. But anyway, um, I remember they were talking about like they were telling me, oh, well, because okay, now I have to explain the whole <laughs> sound transit <laughs> thing. But give it to me in three bullet points. Three bullet points. Okay, <laughs> they wanted a. Big ass parking garage. Please say it in a weird voice. No, I can't. Wait, I can't. What? Too what tired. They? It's Monday. They were trying. Light rail was gonna. Light rail go is going. It's getting built right now. To build, they refused to build it unless they got their demands right. Yes. Okay. Exactly. What? They sued the fuck out of Sound Transit because get this, we were gonna mess with their traffic. Um, oh, also, this was just mainly a hissy fit about not having dibs on the I ninety HOV lane. But then on top of that, they added stuff like they wanted to ban bus transfers. What the fuck? Uh, and then um, they wanted like uh, reservations on both the the train and the, um, what do you call it? 
the the parking spots that are there, which is only two stories because they didn't want anything higher than two stories when they built it a long time ago. So I remember this person that I was talking to justified it with, oh, but that's how you negotiate. So there's like this complete like miss this cognitive dis dissonance about how rich people negotiate and how people without power negotiate. And one mm. of them is bad yep. and the other yep. one is just, mm -hmm. dare I say it, business as usual. <sighs> but, but I mean, th that's, that's where that whole like idea of the ac activist class comes from, right? Is that it's people like us that are finally saying we've had enough and we make these demands that they do all the fucking time, mm -hmm. but they always have money backed with it and they always see it as, oh, we're just good business folk doing a negotiation. And we're not the savvy people doing a negotiation either. We know how negotiations go, right? That's why John Grant was saying shit with the 25% market rate starting, right? Mm -hmm. Like you start big and then come down and they all understand this, mm -hmm. but. And that's also why we can never you know, as Kevin suggested, fucking Kevin. Oh, this is um, Kevin boy. <laughs> as he suggested, like Kevin, <laughs> he, he was basically like both sides need to stand down. But and then what like, happens? No, well, right, exactly. Right. Well, like, <laughs> well, well, like you let's said, let's entertain that idea. We both stand down. Well, I mean, we we would st we if, lose if we stood down. That's the thing. Like you said, it's business as usual. Because it is just business to them. Like it's yeah. it's it's yeah. just a straight up calculation. Exactly. Um, exactly. So like we know that they're gonna do them regardless of yeah. what we do. So like exactly. to suggest that it is even safe to consider backing up when we know that like their forward momentum is unstoppable. Mm -hmm. Um is just it's like insulting, but also it's just very dangerous. Mm-hmm. And the fifteen dollar minimum wage is another example of that. Yes. That was she a started huge at like fight. 25. Mm -hmm. It was a huge fight. It started at 25 and now it's at 15 and surprise that's an unaffordable mm -hmm. <laughs> wage for living in the city of Seattle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, it's yeah, like still exactly. not enough. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It took too long to, for it to happen, too long for us to fight for it and once we got it we needed 20 minimum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On Thanks, that Seattle. note, raise your hand if your parents wish that you had a job at Amazon. I don't think my parents know what Amazon is. <laughs> my parents are like, why can't you I just know. work at Amazon? My <laughs> mom truly up until like three months ago still didn't understand what my actual job is. So yeah. she's just like, so you're not a lawyer still. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> still not a lawyer. Okay. Oh, cool. exactly. I Speaking will, of Asian yeah. parents, that's a good segue into R88 and I-1000. That's <laughs> a good segue. <laughs> Someone has to explain it to me because I am so confused. Okay. I tried to read up on it. Yeah. Start from square start from one. The can we square <laughs> one thousand? Like, can we insert st storybook music right here? Mm -hmm. Like long, long ago. There you go. Long, long ago. So long, long ago, affirmative action was passed in Washington State. Woo! And in 1998, Tim Iman, gross, a little troll of a man, he's used a goblin. <laughs> used Washington's initiative process Chair and his wealth goblin. to get I-200 on the ballot, which then reversed affirmative action in Washington state. It passed with like 58% of the vote. And so since then, Washington has, Washington legislators have been really, really scared to even touch affirmative action because any type of racial justice issue is just very difficult to move across the state. 
And there was the idea that constituents would not reelect their legislators if they did anything to repeal I-200. And um, Sharon Tomiko Santos, who was part of a broad multiracial coalition to get affirmative action passed, um, who is a current state legislator, has tried to repeal I-200 through the legislature multiple times. And each time couldn't get the vote count until two years ago, Manka Dingra switched over the Senate to be a progressive Democratic Senate. So we had a Democratic Senate and a Democratic House and a Democratic governor. And all of a sudden, a bunch of progressive legislation was passed. And she knew that that would be the time to repeal I-200. But at the same time (laughs) that that was happening, um, another person was working on getting affirmative action back at the state level, but was doing that through a different process, was doing that through a ballot initiative process of his very own. That person is our former state legislator, Jesse Weinberry. So he did a bunch of polling and found out that if you added veterans and LGBTQ people to the, the, um, the language of the bill, that more than likely the state would be able to get it on the ballot or to get it approved, right? So he wrote that in, and unfortunately what that did was it opened up white men to be able to benefit from affirmative action. And just as a reminder, white women were the biggest benefactors of affirmative action the first time around, not people of color. White women always fucking it up for everyone. It's so Damn. true, and it was it's so visible in... Uh, since I grew up in South Texas, where the mo- we're mostly Mexican American, it's very visible who gets affirmative action. Mm-hmm. In in my college too. So, so Jesse, uh, you can look up the PDC. Spent almost a million dollars to get this initiative. Of state money of his own fundraised personal? money. Jeez, yeah, personal Louise. money. Yeah. Um, to get this as a initiative that would go before the legislature, right? Or before the people. Mm-hmm. And um, like right before the midnight hour, before session ended, the state legislature passed I-1000 instead of being able to repeal I-200. So there was some contention around I-1000 and that was because it watered down basically what our state's affirmative action would have been if we had just been able to do a clean repeal. And now we have this I-1000, which opens it up to veterans and LGBTQ communities, which in theory would be fine, right? But like veterans are already very protected and get almost more <laughs> more support than what is actually written in the affirmative action uh, law. So I mean, the problem there is that it, it opens it up to white people instead of leveling the playing field for people of color and women. Yeah, I mean, it was written to be passed versus written to be... Um, impactful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh, good, good line. Thank you. That was a very good line. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's so now here we are with I-1000 as a initiative that has been put on the ballot, put to the people for a vote, and the opposition, right, also had time to c- produce a referendum. Jeez, and please. they, like, don't want 
I-1000 to pass. And they are also doing that same weird-ass thing where they're co-opting language and they're talking about, like, um, how affirmative action actually leads to race-based discrimination because it provides preferential treatment to people of color. But something to clarify is that, like, that that is fucking confusing. It's it's confusing. It's really confusing. And something to clarify is that I-1000 doesn't actually provide preferential treatment. It doesn't institute quotas. It just would require more outreach, education, and training to women and people of color and now veterans and LGBTQ communities. All in all, it's been a mess. It has been so sad, too, to see the communities that should be unified in um, their support, communities of color in particular, and support for affirmative action statewide be kind of like torn yeah and not united in their organizing around this issue right and it's currently not polling that well and so it's probably because it's so confusing it's confusing Mm -hmm. as fuck Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and we just need everyone to vote to approve say so we said so the campaign was like no on r88 for the longest time right but the way that it's written on the ballot now is that you need to approve approve the passage of I-1000. So R-88 is on the ballot, but you have to approve it. Wait, so... I'm now confused. I'm, I'm very confused. I fucking but, but is I'm going to get my ballot now. So first of all, why, why, what did they get by introducing this referendum that they wouldn't have gotten by just like actively campaigning against I-1000? Or is I-1000 not on the ballot? I-1000... 88 is the only thing we're voting on? Is that correct? Yes. Oh, okay. I-1000 was passed by the legislature. Yes. Got it. Okay. So there's only one thing on the ballot. It's referendum 88. We need to vote to approve it in order to keep the already passed I-1000, which has been signed into law by the governor. Is that correct? That is correct. Sweet. Got it. It said so. Referendum is the first time this has made sense to me. (laughs) Really? Okay. So referendum measure the backstory. Referendum measure number eighty-eight says the legislature legislature passed initiative measure number one thousand concerning affirmative action and remedying discrimination, and voters have filed a sufficient referendum petition on this act. Initiative one thousand would allow the state to remedy discrimination for certain groups and to implement affirmative action without the use of quotas or preferential treatment as defined in public education, employment, and contracting. Should initiative one thousand be approved or rejected? I see. Okay. So, so we need to. Approve it. Approve it. Okay. We need to approve it. And so that on your ballot is listed as referendum 88. Yes. That is fucking (laughs) ridiculous. Oh my God. Hmm. I mean, the way that they've (laughs) like, the way that they've like made it an anti-discrimination thing. And also like, clearly this is very anecdotal, but like I've seen maybe five people tabling for this in the last like three months outside of Target and Trader Joe's and wherever else. And every one of them has been a per- person of color, straight up. Yeah, I mean, I got to say that that is also something that the that the East Asian community needs to handle. Oh, I was about to say, do you want to talk about the Harvard case? <laughs> let's talk about anti-blackness. There, there, let's talk about anti-blackness. Mm-hmm. This is deeply rooted in the model minority myth and in anti-blackness and in this like deep fear from the East Asian community that 
affirmative action and like providing supports to people of color will somehow interfere with their child's ability to get into Harvard. And um, the Chinese Tea Party has funded and mobilized a tremendous amount of support to be anti-affirmative action in the state of Washington and also nationally. So even like the language that's being used um, is to, to actually not say affirmative action. Like the campaign um, is talking about like fairness and um, not even equal opportunity because that is apparently triggering, but just like fair opportunity to kind of combat like the amount of like visceral anger that affirmative action sparks, not just like with, with racist white people, but with, with racist Asians who are deeply racist towards black people. Yeah. And no. there, there's discussion too about like whether or not like people of color can be racist towards other people of color. But because of colorism, surprise, <laughs> Asians. It's yes. You can be racist yes. to black people. And that benefit. is called anti blackness. <laughs> Insert rainbow emoji. So we all need, we need to, yeah, we need to check that. And we need to, um, we, I think honestly, like the saddest thing that has come out of this too is just like the amount of, of anti-blackness and distrust even within like, of course, the progressive API mm -hmm. movement who is supportive of affirmative action and not being able to like work in coalition with all the folks who are trying to like make this, um, make the organizing possible. It was last minute, it was sloppy. The mm. way that I-1000 came together, there wasn't a lot of like, long-term community investment and like long-term community relationship building um, that happened right before we just needed to jump in to it with each other and campaign together and do issue education. And so of course, like those dynamics were going to surface and be present um, always, always, right? But like, it just was so much messier in this moment. And that's really sad. It was like a loss to the progressives and it was a loss <coughs> to see the conservatives so Wait, I'm still a little confused as to, well, I, I can say like within my own circles, people were a little wary because it wasn't the language that they were hoping for, right? Like opening it up to the other protected classes. Um, so that made folks wary. Is that what you're talking about in terms of the hesitation from the left, uh, from the progressives? No, sorry. I was just saying like there's, I don't know what the exact drama has been right, and what right, it's looked right, like but right. like i do know that like from the outside looking in you can see that yeah. like there's an api coalition right that's like working on this and then there's a coalition that is i don't actually know for sure if i would say that like it's a black community coalition like led by jesse weinberg i think it's mm -hmm. been pretty like multiracial, and i honestly like i can't unpack that with like certainty right but like you have like a bunch of groups and then like the fair opportunity folks and like there's just so many different people doing this work and it's not at all unified and it right. and i've heard that there's been like a lot of bad blood that's resulted mm -hmm. from it i mean i i would say like as API folks, so API stands for Asian Pacific Islander, um, which includes Indians. India is in Asia. I'm saying that. It's It's been a whole thing. I'm Myra said how. <laughs> we really get caught up in like our proximity to whiteness. And mm -hmm. I would like, as a South Asian person, like watching that happen specifically like with East Asian folks, um, is really, it's really hard to watch, right? Like, because like even within API community, 
then you have margins within the margins. Then you have colorism. And then you, you get stuff like this, like exactly what you're talking about, which is like disorganizing forces on stuff that actually could really benefit us as a community, as communities. They fucked it up. <laughs> and I, like we, we are part of this. And Asian like diagonal. The Asian oh diagonal. Yeah, Asian couch has been Yeah, Asian supplanted. couch got broken up. <laughs> and I think that in terms of like an activist class takeaway from this, it's like so much of what organizing actually looks like on the ground is like, not just going to a protest, you know? So many meetings and like it's dinners and relationship building. Yeah. Yeah. Why Bush Gardens was even brought up exactly. in the first place as like a special per like sanctuary in the CID, a building yes. that has history and needs protection because that's where relationships were built. That's where mm -hmm. community was formed. Trust was developed over karaoke and shots, you yep. know? Which is really all you need. <laughs> yeah. And so you, you need like, as opposed to like the pussy hats, right? Who we make fun of, who like just show up for a protest and then like feel like they've done Wait, their they, they, did duty. they did some letter writing. They have safety pins. You're right. Oh shit, the safety that's pins. A throwback. That's a throwback. That's, that's a throwback. That's a 2017 Ooh, throwback. Mm -hmm. So besides having zero style whatsoever, <laughs> they also don't know how to really connect and build momentum mm -hmm. and like mm -hmm. what it's like to like to show stay up in it and to, to stay, stay in, in it, it. Yeah. that's the problem is like of course like mass movements and like mass protests is so needed and so mm -hmm. wonderful but it can also be harmful if it just goes away the next day right mm -hmm. because then whatever you're opposing they can tell that like oh this is just like a one day thing like they'll be quiet tomorrow mm -hmm. and so <coughs> the hard part the unsexy part is staying in the shit right mm -hmm. like is you know, years of work, like like you were saying that, like, you know, Representative Santos has, like, been trying to pass this for so long that, like, no one talks about it, right? But, like, she has been staying consistent and staying accountable, and that is the essence of organizing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also, like, being in those rooms, I think, with, like, the East Asians who literally live on the East Side, of like Washington. East squared. East squared. And having conversations with our people, you know, not just not just like the the Tea Party conservative East Asians, but like our people, ourselves, mm. and like recognizing like, you know, that anti blackness is pervasive in the culture that we've all internalized. Mm -hmm. And that shows up in our organizing even when it's progressive. And so all of that needs to like constantly be deliberate, you know, and right. how we really how we underscore our relationships with each other and our understandings of ourselves. Right. And it's like, you know, we taking a step back, we always have to be mindful that the ways in which capitalism and white supremacy have been constructed is that we are constantly in a scarcity mindset so that when communities of color get any type of chance, you know, like within the spectrum, we're set up to step on anybody else right so like mm -hmm. api folks will step on black folks you know like to to get to whatever proximity to whiteness or wh however closer we can get to to that i'm glad you mentioned that because this whole time i was thinking it goes back to the the i don't remember their names but you know the the mostly east asians that sued harvard mm -hmm. um for discrimination mm -hmm. i'm always angry that they don't attack 
the white people that have legacy status, that have had all this money, that get all these scholarships, that get the best education, right? Like, it's because we're constantly fighting for scraps. So of course, it, I mean, it's like you're going to, it's like this intuitive knowledge of, oh, you don't step on the powerful, you step on the weak. Exactly. So I can get closer to the powerful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's aggravating. I mean, we should be pointing out to the insane wealth inequality mm -hmm. that that's why we're fighting these stupid fights with, with each other. Well, and I think that boils down to also like the, um, the bootstrap mentality and the American yeah. dream and how yeah. pervasive and how successful that narrative for some reason still is yeah. in the United States. And also like how communities that are um, like the API community that like have continuous or recent waves of immigration are folks coming to the United States and then, you know, not really understanding how racism operates here and are coming exactly. from their own countries that are super homogenous and have right. their own like class and mm -hmm. structures and race structures sometimes and even if they are racially homogenous there's like colorism right and so like my dad for instance first generation immigrant he is gonna identify as like a japanese american first and then be shocked when he finds out that like the world will see him as asian will deny that racism exists and won't really even understand what I say or mean when I say people of color, because he doesn't get that that's a structure that exists because white supremacy exists, because he doesn't get that. Right. <laughs> and so it takes a generation or two, right? And so there's still this idea that like, and this is what we're fighting with, with Amazon in our city, is the idea that like people can access that wealth if the wealth can continue to accumulate. But this is, a zero-sum game. Capitalism is a zero-sum game, meaning that like wealth can accumulate because people get poor. Mm -hmm. And like we really need mm -hmm. to just start to demystify that. Mm -hmm. Because a part of like a part of that whole Harvard thing that you mentioned, Myra, it's like, yeah, you know, we are fighting for scraps. But at the same time, I think there's something about that like fight for the American dream still yep. because yep. they think that so they can powerful. become that. Yep. Yeah. And they want to become that. Yeah, I think one of the way, one of the reasons that um, thing like anti-blackness is successful in its context here in the U.S. is because of the ways our parents or our families have lived through it in their mm -hmm. homelands, right? Like mm -hmm. coming from India, like the caste system. Uh, for my family, like they grew up seeing darker-skinned people constantly put on the bottom right so then when they come to the u.s like they're used to stepping on darker skinned folks and then so that makes sense to them so then they can perpetuate it in different ways and so i think that that tie doesn't always get made because of the way be, you know because like when our families get here they're like well i'm sh i'm fucking poor too like i'm not some privileged person either and they forget the ways and like the ways in which they've also been stepping on other folks um, that's not to say everyone has, you know, no one has the same immigration story. Uh, but I feel like, you know, especially for my family and, like, for my community, we get steeped in anti-blackness real young, mm -hmm. real young. Mm -hmm. You know, like, yeah. uh, skin lighteners are, like, some of the biggest industries in India. And, like, all of our Bollywood movie stars, like, everyone you see, like, all the advertisements are, like, these... Wh like white-skinned Indian people, mm -hmm. and I'm like, that is not who's on the streets. Mm -hmm. It's a very similar story in Mexico too. Right. Yeah, right. Mm 
But yeah, no, you're totally right. I also like to add that our parents bring with us their traumas too mm -hmm. from uh, from their native countries mm -hmm. and they don't know how to deal with it here. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the bootstrap mentality, at least with my parents and my family, has been a way for them to cope with, you know, reaching for the American dream and also justifying that rat race that is mm -hmm. thriving in capitalism, right? Mm -hmm. So they ultimately sometimes end up using that same conservative rhetoric of mm -hmm. exactly yeah of I, i've is. got mine like is. um i work this hard mm -hmm. without looking mm -hmm. wait i worked this hard in a system that naturally was pitted against me mm -hmm. but because i won i i'm okay with the system mm -hmm. because and it what made is doing to somebody else yeah yeah exactly yeah. and ignoring and that you know everyone around us or the average at least for me like the average mexican-american or whatever right they just completely don't see it anymore and that i mean with that trauma comes like a fear of dreaming for more than what you can fight for like what you can just the scraps you can get right like my dad wanting me to work at amazon <laughs> and yeah. And, and a fear of each other, right? Mm -hmm. Like because then we're pitted against each other. We become fearful of the other person becoming successful because mm -hmm. that means oh. you're eating my food. Exactly. Oh. We can't all eat. Yeah. Okay, is this therapy now? No, or? I mean I think that this <laughs> I, I think mean, that this conversation <laughs> this conversation is really important because it underpins everything. I think it underpins the need for for R eighty eight to pass. That's really confusing. But for I-1000 to pass and for our, our state to have affirmative action because there is a difference in the treatment of people of yeah. color and colorism. Like, there yeah. is a history of racism in the United States. And surprise, it's fucking real. <laughs> and so we actually do need to legislate yeah. things that can equalize the playing field yeah. and right historical wrongs for folks. And also, like, we're seeing the same type of, like, shit play out in the elections around the cognitive dissonance to around like who is divisive and who isn't yep. who is a bully and who yeah. isn't like we're literally seeing that same racist ra rhetoric being laid over all of the campaign messages of the progressive movement that's actually trying to make our city livable yeah. and, s and truly safe right for people yeah. of color absolutely so good. we didn't talk okay. about i-976 Vote Just no on don't it. Yeah, vote no for anything oh, that, that has Tim Iman. Do you want to say like it. the top three things that are going to be rolled back if that initiative passes? Well, yes, Ooh, I have a go. list right here in my beautiful planner. Um, pretty much ST3 would be undone. It would mean... Oh, you remember that thing we voted for Metro in 2015 so we can have more buses? You probably all felt it because your bus route disappeared and then it came back. I know it did for me. That shit's going to be gone if this happens. Free Orca cards for students. Oh, I didn't realize that was meant oh to. Oh, my God. Gone. No. Rainier Beach students organized for that. Yeah, they did. Do not let them down. Yeah, they did. They started that shit. But, I mean, yeah, it would just defund everything that we would need that we approved of, you know, back in 2016. Just real quick. Hmm. If you're watching this on the day that this comes out, the election is 5 days away and um at 8 p.m on tuesday we're gonna get the first results in some of them are gonna be very conclusive others are not gonna be very conclusive 
Um, all in all, it's probably going to be kind of a confusing night, especially in some races. So I'm just curious, what is, what are people like looking for? Like I, I'm hoping, I think it's very unlikely that we will see Sean Scott ahead in D4. Oh but, yeah, on the first night? Yeah, but yeah, if no. but if it's close on the first night, I will feel very good. Yeah. yeah. Are there any things like that that you guys are like watching for, just like markers in the road? Advice you can give to folks who are watching this stuff come in and will be having panic attacks because they uh, think Yeah. Yeah, it's not gonna be a good day. Mm-hmm. Hey, just, don't say that. Well, just I mean, like, in, in terms of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be anxious all day. And you might go to bed anxious. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to have night. the bad poops. <laughs> <laughs> just, like, always remember that, like, the first night, the votes that are that you're seeing are the ones that we were just talking about, right? Like, they're the early voters. They're your, like, older white folks, like, consistent voters. So, like, don't get disheartened. It's just the first night. Um, and as the days go, those numbers will change. Um, I hope that I think my prediction is at least one race will go into ballot chasing. I think at least one race is going to go to ballot chasing. Oh, for sure. D3 yeah. is going to come down to a few hundred votes oh, is man. my prediction. Yeah. Okay. Make sure your ballot gets counted. Keep yes. that little stub and look yep. it up. Mm-hmm. You can oh, track your ballot true. online. That's yeah. Really like your point. pizza orders. Yes. It's like a pizza of democracy. So this has been episode four of Activist Class. Um, yes. Boo, 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 boo. <laughs> Everyone that's to. watching or listening is going to vote, I'm sure. Um, and uh, yeah, starting a thing like this is not super easy and it takes a lot of work. And it's also just kind of scary to like put yourself out there. And we really appreciate all the people who have been listening and who have shared and who have like contributed questions we didn't actually get to any of the questions tonight because we recorded for an hour and i kind of forgot to record it so this is actually version two um tired. indeed probably uh, not new and improved <laughs> but we really appreciate it we're stoked that this community is growing and um there's things you can still do to help us out if you want to go to your favorite podcast platform leave us a review leave us whatever star system they have um that kind of thing really helps uh when we're trying to get something like this off the ground so we appreciate that we also just launched the beta of our website today activistclass.com designed by ashley ball um she's very talented thank you it's thank you she's great um but yeah uh you can find all the videos there you can find all the audio plus also links to every platform that we're available on which hopefully by the time you're listening to this, which will be all of them. Um, but yeah, that's it. Episode four. That's it. Day we will be back next week. You to vote. That sexy man bun will be back. <laughs> <laughs> and I will be back.